You could have the most perfect lesson plan, the most engaging activity, the perfect math centers for your students to do, but if they are not available for learning, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be able to. What we can do is create an environment that feels safe and welcoming so that our students can become available for learning, and it is no easy task. But today, I'm hopefully going to give you a quick win and an overview of things to keep in mind when you're setting up your classroom, especially coming off of a holiday season. It's a great time to revisit some norms and create a new environment in the classroom, especially if the one you currently have is not what you would like it to be. Hello, and welcome to Making Number Sense Make Sense a podcast for elementary teachers, specifically early elementary teachers, looking to really make an impact in the number sense of their students. I feel like we have all been there. We're seeing more extreme behaviors in the classroom, and it sometimes feels kind of hopeless. It sometimes feels like whatever you do, it's not going to be enough to be able to have the math class or just class in general that you want. So what I'd like to share with you today is something a little bit different, but something that I have personally spent a lot of time looking into, and I'm going to give you a little background of why, and that is trauma-informed practice. I had been teaching for a few years, and I had a class that was really rough. I had at least three or four students who would have meltdowns every day, and I didn't really know what would set them off. I didn't know what to do about it. And of course, it was impacting them. It was impacting the classroom. And it was impacting me, my own mental health. I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to keep doing this. So I had thought about what I personally could control. And I was like, well, I can try to control my responses. I can try to figure out what might be able to help them or just help myself in the sense that If something's going on, I need to be able to remain calm and supportive and make sure that everybody, including myself, so students, this, so all students and myself were safe in our environment. What I started doing is I started going to the gym weightlifting, which is something I never thought I'd be into, but you know, almost eight years later, I still love it. I also started my own mindfulness practice. I had done a lot of research about it, read into it, and I started my own mindfulness practice. And I was thinking, it's not a bad idea for our students to be doing the same thing, but I didn't really have that much to go on or any idea how to start that. So a coworker showed me a video, and I will definitely link it for you so that you can watch it, from Edutopia called Fall Hamilton Elementary, Transitioning to Trauma-Informed Practices to Support Learning. And this school had set up an environment that was responsive to student trauma in a way that would support them in being able to work with it, overcome it, and then become available for learning. And it just blew my mind. You know, myself and my coworkers started a deep dive into trauma-informed practice. We did a lot of the research. We were trying to figure out what to do, which ended up culminating in a two-year-long professional development that we were giving to school staff about trauma-informed practice and creating a trauma-informed classroom. Something else I will link below for you is just a quick infographic was like, what are you supposed to do about trauma? The steps I would say, and this is not a be all end all, but these are just things that they suggest keeping in mind. And that's create safety, regulate the nervous system, build a connected relationship, support development of a coherent narrative, 
practice power with strategies, build social, emotional, and resiliency skills, and foster post-traumatic growth. Now, if you're hearing that, some of them sound a little bit vague and really big. And as with anything, I don't I wouldn't suggest trying to do all of these things at once. I find that it's easier to implement one or two things before moving to a bunch of things. In general, in our classroom, when they talk about creating safety and a coherent narrative, it just means a schedule, having a routine that students know this is our routine, this is what's going to happen, and then students just move more easily throughout the day if they know what's going to happen and giving them a heads up if there is a change, like a fire drill, if it's a planned fire drill things of that nature. So big picture, just creating a routine, which is something I'm sure that most of you are doing anyway, but just being really thoughtful about the way that you go about routine and the way that you talk about changes in the routine with your students. And of the rest of those things, the thing I want to talk to you today and the thing that I think is the easiest to implement and has a lot of impact is the social emotional resiliency skills or kind of mindfulness skills. A lot of times when you have trauma, your brain is in a fight, flight, freeze, fawn type of environment always. You're always a little bit stressed or a lot stressed depending on what's going on. And that can really affect everything that you're doing. So the best time to support a child in learning to self-regulate is when they are not in that state, which can be difficult. But again, going back to the routine, if you build it into the routine, your students will have a lot of exposure to that kind of skill with the hope that when they do start to realize that they're having these feelings that they might be starting to go into a crisis, they have strategies to pull from to hopefully help them regulate and help them calm down. The social emotional I guess curriculum that I used was the zones of regulation. I'm going to give you a quick overview of what that is if you're not sure. I didn't come up with it. That's just something that was a common language that they used at my school and it was helpful for everybody to be using the same language, you know, in our classroom and specials so that the so the kids could develop a common vocabulary understanding around social emotional development. In the zones of regulation, they had the red zone, the yellow zone, the green zone, and the blue zone. And the green zone was our like ready for learning zone. Like we are calm, our needs are met, and we are available for learning. The blue zone is when you might be feeling sad, you might be feeling disappointed, you might be feeling tired. The yellow zone could be you're starting to get like a little bit antsy, you're starting to get frustrated, or on the flip side, it could be a good thing. It could be you're excited, you're a bit too excited, you're a bit too hype, which we want we want kids to be excited, but if it's too much, then we're still not available for learning. And the red zone is like you're angry, you're really frustrated, you know, red zone emotions, like you can, as you can imagine. We use those colors to refer to so that students could say like, oh, I'm in the red zone, I'm in the green zone, I'm in the yellow zone. And just giving kids the vocabulary to express themselves and express their emotions is really helpful. And so if we are not in the green zone, which is any of the other zones, the red zone might be more of a crisis situation. Blue zone could also be too. So those would not necessarily be what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more if we are in the yellow or starting to get into the blue, what can we do at that point to intervene early? And that's where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness in the classroom, mindfulness in math, mindfulness, just, you know, being thoughtful. This is where that would come in. So the most concrete example I could give you is that 
in-between transitions. So I'm not meaning from like one center to the next center, but bigger transitions like transitioning between subjects, transitioning between, you know, lunch and recess or from recess coming back inside. A lot of times kids can be a little bit hype or that can be a challenging time. So including mindfulness at that time is something that can be really helpful and really powerful. But the time I would say that I used it most consistently was transitions between big subjects. So we're in a big chunk of learning time, and especially when you're working with younger kids, huge chunks of learning time can be difficult. It can be difficult for a lot of reasons. So at that point, we have a little brain break, a little energizer. So we might put a song on. Cuckoo Kangaroo was our favorite. So whenever it was a Cuckoo Kangaroo, they were excited about it. So they were a favorite. Sometimes they put on Jack Hartman, but I didn't use him that much. They also liked Danny Go and DJ Rafi. DJ Rafi was also a fun one. So if you're looking for some brain break dancey type things to include into your days, those would be ones I would recommend. After that, you know, they just got you know, they got their wiggles out, but a lot of times they could be really hype about it. And a lot of times teachers don't use them because they're like, now they're too excited and we're having trouble coming down. So what I would do is I would have that brain break energizer, let us move a little, get our wiggles out. And then right after do a mindfulness activity. So it could be as simple as taking a few breaths in and out. There's also a lot of great, really short mindfulness videos that I'll link down below that you can include in. And what I would usually do is I'd have the same brain break and the same mindfulness activity for the entire week. So they really got to know it. And then eventually we started, I started to let them choose which one they wanted to listen to because they're like, oh, this is the one that I really enjoy. And this is the or that's the one that resonated with them, that they that was their go-to. Especially if you're just starting out, you're not really comfortable leading your own mindfulness time or your own meditation time. And when I say that, I don't mean it in any religious kind of sense. It's really just trying to breathe deeply, focus your mind, check in with yourself to see how you're feeling so that we can move, move forward throughout the day. But if you feel like you're ready, something else that my students would really enjoy were different breathing techniques, and I'm going to share four of them with you that were very popular with my kids. The first one is called the cool breath, and the reason it was called the cool breath is because, not, not like we're cool, like we have sunglasses on, but because it felt cool. So for the cool breath, you would have your students breathe in like they were breathing into a straw and then breathe out through a straw. And when they did that, it felt cool where, where the breath was coming in and out. And that's why it was called the cool breath. They would take a deep breath in, like they're breathing in through a straw, and breathe out the same way. Like I said, their lips felt cool, the cool breath. And so usually we would try to do that a few times, usually around five times, and really prompt them to hold their breath for two to five seconds, depending on how they're doing, before breathing it out. Now, a lot of times when you're doing this kind of mindfulness, kids will kind of lift their shoulders or really kind of breathe in through their chest to try and hold their breath. And that can be over-exaggerated. What you want to prompt them to do is more try and breathe through like their belly, their diaphragm. That's for all of the breathing techniques, but cool breath. The next one that they liked was the up, up, and away breath. So for that one, when they have two up, up, so they breathe up, they breathe up again, hold it for two to three seconds, and then breathe out for two to five seconds. So it would sound like, <sighs> so up, up, and then away is like a slow down. So you had, you could picture it as going like, like maybe a hot air balloon going up, up, and then it starts to glide away. 
So that's the visual I would prompt them with. I would sometimes, you know, put an image of an air balloon on, um, in my daily slides and put like 30 seconds of a, you know, a sound bath or meditation music, things like that. That's really, really short. So then they would just continue that breath for that 30 seconds. And then we would move into whatever our lesson was. Another thing that my students really liked was feather breathing. So for that one, what I would do is I just got a bag full of craft feathers, you know, from Michael's, and I would give each student a feather. And then for that 30 seconds, that minute or whatever, we would have our, you know, chill music playing. They were just breathing in and out normally. But what they were doing is it was kind of like a a sensory way to create mindfulness. So they would each get a feather and they would just rub the feather maybe on their hand, maybe on their arm. A lot of times they would try to put it in between their fingers. And what I found that that did was because they could feel it. And I never met a student. Well, let's just, I mean, not everybody would like that, but I'd never met a student who didn't like the feather breath. And I've had a lot of students over the years. So that was always a really popular one. They liked the feeling of it. And it was just kind of a soothing time for us. And then everybody just kind of chilled out and then we were ready to move on with our day and like I mentioned before there are some um, especially in 2020 there was just a huge host of you know kids type videos like that that were really short it wouldn't crazily impact your day it wasn't like you're spending 20 minutes watching a meditation video nothing like that that they're just a way for your kids to get themselves moving refocus and then they're more ready to move on to whatever lesson you're doing. But if you're starting to do, you know, your math centers, your math stations, problem solving, any of that, you know, you got your wiggles out, you had your chance to relax, and now they're more available for learning, more in the green zone, which is ultimately what we want. Bringing it back to the trauma-informed practice, we would do that every week. We have a new one and things like the feather or the little images of, um, you know, a hot air balloon or the feather, or an image of like a drink with a straw, I would put in my calm down corner, peace corner, they're called a lot of things. So if a student felt that they were, you know, starting to get into a zone that was not the best for learning, they could go into the peace corner or the calm down corner, and those kind of visuals were there for them. So they could choose the one that they wanted, and then try to regulate themselves that way. Now about the peace corner or calm down corner, that definitely requires, you know, some some teaching, just like anything else. I wouldn't just put all of the things in the peace corner and say, go for it, because then it becomes a place to play instead of a place to regulate. So that would definitely include some pre-teaching, explaining explicitly how it's able to be used, and give every student, even if they don't need to come down, the opportunity to go in there, see what kind of things you have in the peace corner or calm down corner. I've also heard of it called a the relaxation station. It can be anything like that, but it's just a space in the classroom that's away from the other kids if they feel like they need that time. If you're looking to start your own calm down corner relaxation station, I can definitely do an episode about that. But what I had in there was some squishy mats to sit on. I had a pillow that was really soft. I had the feathers and the cards and I might have like little fidgets or things like that in there. But like I said, I wouldn't put them all in at one time. And we definitely had to talk about the correct way to use that area so that it didn't become a distraction. It was just more a tool if students felt like they needed it to regulate. The last thing my students really, really loved was the Snoop Dogg affirmations. They wanted to listen to them all the time. Eventually, I just put it in our morning meeting and we would just listen to them every day. 
and they really enjoyed the music of it. That class liked to dance, but they also were developing, you know, positive self-talk. And I could hear them reflecting that language to each other, or I could prompt the students with some of those affirmations to really kind of refocus on positive, not disregarding their feelings, but just kind of offering a different perspective in familiar language. And that would often help them make a connection and get them out of a maybe like a blue zone type of situation. And it's not like you're going to include mindfulness and then you're never going to have any behavior problems or no, you're never going to have bad days. Like that's unrealistic, but this can just overall help the culture of your classroom and just let kids know that it's okay. Not every day is going to be amazing that their feelings are valid. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a great day and just normalize talking about feelings and emotions, positive or negative. Just being like, there are things that everybody experience, and what can we do to help you enjoy this positive experience or help you move past this negative experience? So not strictly math-related episode, but an overall something to consider, something to try out if your students are having a hard time making transitions or really being able to focus. Those are things that you might be able to try and do. And like I said, mindfulness, I thought it would be something that was, you know, going to be really challenging to integrate or find time to do because we always, it always feels like we don't have the time, but I promise you that that is worth the, the time investment. So it could be a you know, energizer, which is two to three minutes, a mindfulness, which can be 30 seconds, you know, up to a minute, that's five minutes of your day max. But it had such a huge impact on the way that the rest of the day went, because they had the chance to, you know, relax a little bit. Because if you think about it, seven and a half hours is a long time to be like focused and to be on everybody needs breaks, ourselves included. So I would encourage you to look into it. If you have any questions about that, feel free to send me a message on Instagram. That's always linked. If you have any requests, I would be happy to take them, filling out the Google form. And I do want to mention that this is going to be my last episode of 2023. I'm going to have Take December off, technically off from recording, but I will be brainstorming content, which is why I would love for you to fill out the Google form so that I can put in episodes that you guys want to hear about. But also in my current position, you guys know, this is more of a little personal update, but you guys know that early elementary is my jam. I say it in every single introduction. That's what we're about here. However, in my current position, I've been moved into working with third and fourth grade, specifically now on multiplication, which is definitely out of my area of expertise. However, it is connected. So if you are a third or fourth grade teacher focusing on multiplication or anything along those lines, and you'd like to Here's more about that and what I'm kind of focusing on, the things that I'm trying to implement. I would be happy to share about that too. I hope that you have an amazing holiday season for the end of 2023, and I will catch you in 2024.